Hello and welcome back to The Game Pit. This is episode 83, I'm Sean and the Wanderer has returned. Is that what they call me? No, they call you a lot worse than that, but I was just like... <laughs> That's what I thought. Hello everyone, it's Ronan, I am back from my journeys around the world and we are back for a continuation of our top 50 games ever. We are going to be counted down from 30 to 21 this time out. I hope the excitement is building there as it is here. Oh, we're going to go past that 25 mark, Rody. Is that, is that that's important, is it? You've hit that one. We're going into the top 25. That's, that's the top really tw- everyone always talks about a top 25. <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't forget we're going past 28 as well. No, no, we're not. <laughs> I've bypassed that. <laughs> <laughs> You're a strange man with strange ideas on maths. Anyway, yeah, the idea of these episodes are we're counting down in batches of 10. Uh, each of us are top 50 games of all time. Well, there's been a lot of agreement, as there should be, because these are good games, but possibly there's been one or two disagreements. We don't know what each other's lists are, so it's as much a surprise to us as it is to you, although I guess we'd probably like to have played the games together at some point. Indeed, there, there is definitely one that you're going to object quite strenuously on my list I'm looking forward to that I'm having a little bit of a giggle about my list as well oh dear <laughs> this is I don't know like, I didn't deliberately group them but there's a, a lot of lighter games I think in this list there's a lot of the kind of funner games before I go into the depth of the top 20 okay as always we are proud members of the Dice Tower Network go there for gaming podcasts videos and all kind of gaming goodness galore if you wish to download our episodes we are on Podbean Stitcher and iTunes. So, starting off with my number 30, it is a game I know that Sean likes. It's from Czech Games Edition, designed by Vlada Svatel. It is Code Names. Yes, I know. Almost the whole world loves code names. It's the word-based party game. We're trying to give clues to associate words together. People love word association games. There's team play in there. There's a bit of discussion. There's the light competition going against each other. It can get quite pressurized. I think that should be in the clue giver is definitely the hardest role. The only problem I can see with the game is that sometimes it does slow down when the clue giver is really struggling to tie together a couple of words. Other than that, I just think it's great. It has that kind of looseness that I like in a party game in that you can sit and you can chat a bit and you can sort of enjoy the experience of just being together as well as having something proper to think about and it's not completely light and completely random. I know that it's just a darling of gaming the last couple of years and i am fully on board that bandwagon so sean my number 30 is codenames it's one of those that you're just never ever going to turn down a game of if you've got the time to play it which isn't very much so yeah i don't think it was ever close to my top 50 but it's certainly a game that i've got lots of enjoyment out of so yeah strong obvious choice rona yeah it's one of those games that's kind of within a year or two become a contender of being one of my top played games ever because when you sit down it's not just one game of it you play again and again everyone wants to take turns being the clue giver and it's quick enough that everyone could get a turn playing the clue giver but then you end up playing six or seven games of it in a row and yeah it's just a really fantastic design he's bringing out another party game it was being tested at the gathering of friends this month 
And that sounds really fun and interesting. Well, it kind of sounds familiar with a twist, almost like Codenames is. So keep an eye out for Vlada Shvatel's upcoming next party game. Oh, excitement. News releases and all sorts in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my number 30 is a game that, given my dislike for the game it sprung from, I never thought it would be in my top 50. It's Pandemic Legacy. And... As I have catalogued here before, I'm really not that big a fan of Pandemic itself. So why do I like Pandemic Legacy? Well, it's a story being told as you play. The narrative keeps me interested. It makes my choices seem more real. I like the character progression. Uh, There seems more choices and they change the meeple on the board into something that you actually care about all of a sudden. You've got the excitement of the next reveal and the genuine surprise added to the format and working together for a long-term goal and adapting and improving as a team over a longer period of time i think that's what's changed this up for me and added it to my top 50 ronan i know you're a big fan of pandemic it should be in this list it shouldn't be in this episode. <laughs> I'm, more, I'm more than sure that yours is way higher up on yours. I read something this week actually on BGG and someone said the trick it does is in a lot of campaign games it's very incremental because they tend to be based on role playing systems and experience points. And so you have to level up your character slowly so otherwise you'll just outpower the game and your character won't fit into the world very quickly if you level up too quickly. The clever thing that and this isn't my observation, I took it from BG. The clever thing they did here was it's not based on experience points, but there is some character development. It's kind of changing of rules, but every month the game evolves relatively drastically compared to other campaign games, whereby I'm going in and doing pretty much the same thing in, let's say, Pathfinder Ranch Car Game with a sword with statted is one better. Or in the Dungeons and Dragons games, I've got one more power to use. As opposed to here, the rules change and the challenge changes. And what I need to do and what I need to prioritise changes. And it's that fast pace of progression that really is a huge hook. Because you really want to see what's next. It's not, I'm going to play four one-hour games of this in order to get one better card in my deck of 20 cards. It's, if I play four one-hour games of this, the game is going to change two or three times as I go through and new rules and new thoughts. And that, I think, is the hook, is the almost fast pace they built to Pandemic Legacy. Yeah, and obviously you've got that just sheer thrill of opening those closed envelopes and boxes and... And bringing out new game pieces. I think every gamer loves that. And as you said about the character progression, you adapt your character to the way your game has gone. So it might not be important to do some or of those things naturally. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Like a bit of organic progression. <laughs> You're a massive exponent of organic <laughs> progression. <laughs> you can't be massive again. <laughs> Anyway, good choice, good choice. My number 29, another epic game that will really take you through the highs and lows of emotion, Sean. Go on. With an expansion coming out this year, which I couldn't be more excited about. Go on. It's Super Rhino. Super Rhino! <laughs> oh, Rhino Hero, if you want to be less fun. Super Rhino! It's the... Haber from Scott Frisco and Stephen Strumpf. It's a stacking game in which you're playing a card and the card tells you what the floor plan is to build some walls and play another card. Some of the cards have got special powers on which will reverse turns, make someone miss a go, make you have to move the little wooden rhino meeple up and when the tower inevitably collapses, whoever has fewest cards left in their hand is going to win the game. We're talking about 
it's hard to be objective subjective how has the balance when you're doing a list like this so some of the games you're like oh, i really admire it's an amazing design and i like playing it Rider Hero, I just love playing it. I love playing it with lots of different people. I love playing it with adults when we're chilling out. Obviously, I love playing it with the kids. We had a couple of period there of a couple of years where we take it everywhere. If we're just going out for lunch, we, while we're waiting for our food, we'd play Super Rider quickly. It'd fall over all over the floor of the restaurant we're in. Everyone would be laughing and asking us what's going on. The waitress would be chatting to us. It's one of those fun things to do that you're smiling as you do it. And it kind of brings everyone else into the fun that you're doing. And everyone else suddenly wants to have a go. It's got that magic to it. And like I say, there's expansion coming whereby it's competitive. Although this obviously right here is competitive, but you've all got a different little wooden hero and there's ways of making them move up and move down. And when the tower falls over, as long as you're not the person who made it fall over, whoever's hero was higher up in the tower is the winner. Kind of mixes it up a little bit. I'm so excited looking forward to that. I think it'll be available at Essen time. Imagine uh, the squeals and the excitement and the crying and the wetting myself that's going to happen around then, Sean. Yes, Ronan. I, I actually don't want to imagine it because it's, it's always... Imagine a, it. It's a tough it's time for me. You might be on clean-up duty. That's a lot of cleaning up. <laughs> Crime scene people will be in. <laughs> That's a trip to Costco to get to get in the job lot of kitchen roll. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> it is a fantastic choice. It almost made my top 50, Ronan. It's one of those games, as you said, you just get swept along on this sort of river of joy. <laughs> I don't want to know what fluid's in that river. <laughs> We've just talked about what fluid's in that river. Oh, I'm so happy. Oh. And everyone's having fun, so you're having fun, and it's just the most simple game. There's no clever mechanisms in there. It's just, yeah, good choice. Well done. Thank you. Well, I and everybody else already knows that you enjoy this game on my 29. It's Small World, because you've already talked about it. The 2009 release from Days of Wonder, designed by Philip K. Arts. What to say that hasn't already been said many times. Bright, cheerful artwork, longevity in the spades with the mixing of the races and powers. It scales for all player counts with different boards. All ages can enjoy, and it's just really easy to learn and really easy to get into. And an absolute winner for me from the day I played it, and I'm still enjoying it now. Yeah, it was my number 36, so obviously a clear winner for both of us. You were talking about the app last time. I've actually downloaded the app since, and I've played it a bit. I think the AI could be a bit better, if that's all right to say. You could almost kind of trick it with certain combinations to go, well, they're not gonna, it's not going to work out how I do this. But still a really good app, still well worth having and playing. But obviously, the getting around the table, the abuse, the table talk, the one, you're tagging them, you should come in in that area. That That's part of why I absolutely love the game, so it's good choice sean thank you ronan what is your number 28 my number 28 is a repeat from vlada Schwatel. it's another lighter game from him so as much as i love his heavy games i think there's another one or two of his games coming up but this one is pictomania this is the game in which there are a rope of cards laid out and they all have sort of similar things on them on each card and everyone's going to get a number and a card and that corresponds to a word that they have to draw and then the round starts but as you're drawing you're also having to guess at the same time which word all the other people are drawing because you're all drawing different words so it's as much about drawing quickly and efficiently to help other people guess as it is guessing quickly and efficiently and guessing incorrectly can cost you points and it's a lovely sort of way of what he does of bringing gamely 
gameplay without having loads and loads of mechanisms. So it just works brilliantly. I get really stressed playing it. I have loads of fun. I'm thinking about six different things at once. I'm kind of doing, because I am terrible. I'm terrible at drawing. I'm the worst drawer in the world. And yet I'm really good at this game because of the guessing. And you're kind of, once you play it with someone, you almost get in the head of how they draw, how they communicate across ideas. Because certainly when you get to the higher levels, it's not easy. I mean, you're trying to draw democracy as opposed to society as opposed to uh, body politic i don't know similar concepts like lawyer to attorney to judge things like that and you're going well how do you differentiate it's almost understanding the person is more important than being good at drawing and and i love that and it's a fantastic game it's my number 28 it's pictomania yeah well it's a game i'm I'm quite surprised that i haven't actually managed to play because I remember way back when, Ronan, we used to love ourselves a game of the much watered-down version of this, which is Pictionary, and people used to get really frustrated because we'd guess like each other's drawings and after like two lines and stuff, and they used to call us cheats and all sorts, but we was, <laughs> I used to really enjoy it. It was one of my staples at Christmas Pictionary. Well, so I don't know why I haven't played this, but it's right up my street. This sounds loads of fun. You know all those times you've ordered games while we've been chatting on the podcast? Yeah. Get on it. <laughs> what makes you think I already have <laughs> you will love it you will know you will it's a it really yeah it, it's just fantastic it's like kind of Pictionary ramped up a little bit but still a lot of fun so 28 Pictomania Sean you're 28 my 28 Ronan is Vikings the 2007 release from Michael Kiesling and Z-Man Games. I've talked about Vikings before. It's that bidding game where you are selecting various different Vikings and they will do various different jobs for you and you're placing them on your own player board and you're trying to score points, earn yourself gold and deflect the Viking ships, which will stop you scoring those points and earning those gold. So why do I like Vikings so much? It's an excellent economic balancing act you need money to bid plus getting the right meeples getting the right islands getting the right ships and trying to get them all to work for you bid for tiles is and here comes the three f's this fascinating it's fantastic and it's frustrating all at the same time and it, but it's such a nice mix you can change up how you want to play this game you can play nicely or you can play proper I mean i've seen some horrible games of this down london on board so, so you can play it properly or not properly is that what you're <laughs> that's exactly it uh, it's also accessible but with hidden depth and that's what i'm looking for in a game and this this works out perfectly i love me a game of vikings runner yes i've had great success with this even in the last year or two as a gateway game or a next step game where i've introduced people a little bit maybe a bit of mysterium maybe a bit of i don't know bonanza for sale something like that love letter and then oh, okay you want to and what vikings does is it's so simple you're just choosing your island tile and your meeple and then there'll be repercussions from that. It's got the spatial aspect that people understand. It's got, although it's not very thematic, the theme makes sense to people. So you've got to build an island. An island has to make sense. It has to have like a leeward side and a seaward side and all the rest of it. Uh, people, it ties it together. People going, oh, okay, cool. It's really well presented. It's fantastically well designed. I do really like the game. I don't love it. So it's not in my top 50 because I don't I never play a game of Vikings and go, oh my God, that was amazing. 
but it, it's probably top 100s around that area. And like I say, it's constant, constant success with it. I've just introduced it to people who have got interest in getting into deeper games. And you can play it 45 minutes and you've had a real think about it. And you can see what you've done and what you do next time and how you could possibly do better. And it, it's just a great game in a small package. Yeah, it is. It's just one of those, as, as I said at the beginning, it's just that balance. It's trying to make sure you've got enough money for the bid and... Then trying to put the jigsaw of your own tableau together, making sure that all works out, and don't forget to feed your Vikings. It's always a no-no. Oh, I, I, actually, I played this with Rachel's family a couple of months ago, and I'm telling you, I promise you, I said, don't forget about feeding your Vikings at least half a dozen times during the game. When the blue meeples were coming out, I was saying, don't forget, it's really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you think I smashed them? <laughs> they didn't have any blues! Oh, that one, yeah. oh, that's what you meant. <laughs> You've just lost a load of points and I've got a load of points. I was, I was trying not to take the blues. And then they come up, I was like, well, I have to take it. But look, you've given me this. I was pointing it out as we're playing. You've given it to me for free. This is really important. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Ah, well, next time they'll probably smash me. That's not the way I heard it. Apparently you were telling oh, me yeah. blues are minus Brilliant. points. Don't take them. Did they tell you about me painting the blue beeples a different colour and then just scraping it off when it came to the end? <laughs> that, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was mentioned. <laughs> okay my number 27 moving onwards is i think it's not so cool to love seven wonders anymore the antoine bowser game from 2010 i think it's one of those games where people go oh yeah seven wonders oh, it's got this problem it's got that problem oh i once had a bad game of it and oh it's been overplayed that's what i hear a lot that seven wonders is a fantastic design you know it's a fantastic design because it stood up to Three expansions, whether you like them or loathe them. I don't really like the leaders. I quite like the cities. I haven't tried Babel. It stood up to the adaptation to Seven Wonders Jewel, and it's still going strong. I always enjoy a game of Seven Wonders. When it first came out, I really enjoyed it. And I played it to death. I played dozens of games of it, and I was loving it. And the different player counts mix it up. And once you're aware of what's in those decks, depending upon the player counts, you have really, you're playing three player. You're like, wow, there's, there's only one copy of these cards. When it comes around, I have to be in a position to take it. And stuff like that becomes much more tactical. Seven players, much looser. You do have to be aware of what's going on around the table to play optimally. But you know, there's a little bit more to it. What's kept it this high, and I've gone on about it loads, so I won't go on too much, is the team game. The team game is sublime. The fact that that is in there as part of this package is what keeps Seven Wonders so high up in my top 50 for me. So there you go, 27, Seven Wonders. Yeah, for me, Ronan, I think it's one of those ones that I don't play often enough. So when I do come back to it, I've forgotten about the scoring and how the scoring works, and I have to re-educate myself and... And it is one of those, if you play it more often, you pick up more things and you understand the game a little bit better. So, and you're watching other people and then you can start understanding what they're doing a little bit better. So I always find myself floundering in the first half of a game of Seven Wonders. And then by the second half, I've realized what I've done wrong and I haven't set up my sort of tableau uh, as well as I possibly I've always considered your spirit animal to be a flounder. (laughs) That is exactly what it is. That's what I thought. Your Patronus is a flounder. <laughs> I'm coming to get you. Sort of flops <laughs> out. Does <laughs> <laughs> the mentor just sort of walk away in, in pity? Oh, that was a bit embarrassing, mate. All right. I'll see you again. Oh, Come on, lads. We'll call, it a, day. we'll call it a day for now. Cause... Yeah, flounder boys here. Come on, this Come is on. not good. Boys. Boys. <laughs> Come on. I, I don't want to be around this. <laughs> seen too much for today 
<laughs> yeah, it's, to me, it is a game with hidden depths. I know people use it a lot because it's got a short play time, big player count as sort of a gateway game. Uh, do it with smaller player counts for that people and, and help them out because it's not immediately intuitive. And you've played a lot, you're going to smash people. But I, I really think it's a very, very strong system. Damn the hip people. I like Seven Wonders. Sean, you're 27. Just before I go on to it, I like Seven Wonders too, Roly Pop. Oh, well, that's good. Thank you. Here you go. My 27, I'm going for not quite cult the new, but fairly new. And one of the big things from last year, for sure, it's Scythe by Stonemaier Games and designed by Jamie Stegmeier. Okay, it's obvious it's a breathtaking production and it's got that toy factor to it. So, of course, I was going to be drawn to it. It brings together many mechanisms. So you've got resource management, area control, combat, a little bit of exploration, and it does it all seamlessly. Players are not just thrown together. And this is what I really like about it. Battle has a cost, but there's definitely interaction between the players where you're not just said, right, here you go, everyone's got a fight. Doesn't necessarily have to happen. Lots of choice and strategy. Game I'm thoroughly enjoying at the moment is soaring up the BGG rankings and that side run. How excited are you about airships? Oh, I'm beside myself. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> is it before the wind, beyond the wind, was it? I can't remember exactly, but... Wind, Gambit. Yeah, yeah there Gambit you go. Windy, yeah, something face. like that. Yeah, that's exactly what it's called. Good, good. Yeah, I, I, with Scythe, you know that I really enjoy it. We did review it. We were bigging it up. Here's the reason why I haven't plonked it in here, is that I've played it a few times. I haven't played it enough times. I certainly haven't played it enough times, people that know it, for me to make a full judgment on it. Because I think that once you're playing it with people that all know it, that are aware of... You know, when you get your thing to move across rivers, you can only move from such and such to such and such. Another person can only move from such and such to such and such. Once you've got everyone who knows what they all are, and you're aware of what the actual tactical ramifications are of those, and the fact that I can be attacked by that person via that route, and that person that route, but I can get this route and they can't, then I want to see how it all sings. I, I need it almost as a, a choral performance, as opposed to we're doing five solos at the moment, and everyone doing their own little bit, and trying to score their own points in their own way, and not necessarily reacting to everything that's going on on the board. So I'm kind of, even after a few plays, reserving judgment on Scythe. I haven't got it to the table often enough for me to really go, right, here we go, boom. I'd love to get a regular group of players who enjoy it and we can sit down and play it half a dozen times over six weeks, what have you. Uh, and I know that's not loads for certain people, but, but that would be enough, I think, for us all to kind of get into the role of what we're thinking about. Yeah. It reminds me actually a bit of, uh, we might talk about it in a couple of episodes time, Assault of the Giants. So I've played that a couple of times. And that also reminds me that on the first play, I really don't feel like I'm getting a lot out of the game. And I feel it's going to take half a dozen plays for everyone to have played that often for us to really understand what all the different powers do. Oh gosh, I hope I don't come across negative. I really, really enjoy it. I feel like there's more there for me to discover with Scythe. Yeah, I, I kind of get I get what you're coming at there. People come at this game thinking that it's a straight-up area control or a straight-up war game almost. It's sort of conflict, and you all have to battle for those areas. You really don't. There's a lot more to it. Every time I teach new players, even though I'm constantly sort of saying, no, you can't do that, and you have to do this to cross the river, and this is how you get the mech out, and this is what you have to do next, and I'll always beat them because I already know sort of what works, what doesn't work, and even if I'm trying new things out, because it takes two or three games, I think, to sort of work out exactly what's going on and what the game's really about, and I think it's just an economic game. 
at its heart. You think everything's an economic game? Yeah, but I think in this one, there's probably some support to that. Cause you, you, uh, know, you literally will turn everything into an economic game. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. You're not wrong, but this one, this one was a lot easier to turn in. This one really is. It really is this one. <laughs> okay. My number 26. Oh, this is also fighty plastic dudes on the map game. It's from Christian Markerson and it is Clash of Cultures. Now, I remember being at the Essen when this was released and my excitement over it. And they didn't get it in or it came in on the last day or something like that. And suddenly it appeared on Z-Man booth. I was like, oh, grabbed it. And I haven't looked back since. It's only been improved by the expansion whereby when you're building up through your tech tree and you're developing and you're getting more cities because it's a game really of slow build up of exploration and then you're deciding where to put cities and you're exploiting the resources around them and you're building up for inevitable confrontations there will be fights in the game it is one of those games in which the fights aren't really that annoying because there's quite a bit of to and fro backwards and forwards there can be very quick defeats because of fights if you haven't prepared yourself quickly so you kind of have to ramp yourself up get a bit of defense in place and then kind of develop where you're going but, but as I was saying the expansion because it gives all different civilizations with slightly different tweaks on them is only added to the fun you draw two you look at them you go oh which do I fancy playing and that gives you a guide in where you're going it's although there's a lot going on sometimes it can be hard to remember all the sort of bonuses and stuff that you've you've developed with your tech it's all quite intuitive it's really well presented there's a lot of fun in there especially if you ever played the civ computer games there's a lot of fun in just seeing your little dudes on a map ready to attack each other it is just fun but it's kept simple enough that it's not you know battles don't go on for half an hour and everyone else is bored it's quite dynamic for its style of game i just really really enjoy clash of cultures it's deep enough to give me lots of decisions without being heavy enough to become a burden i think in terms of having that tech tree and the exploration and actually building up those cities from from sort of grassroots up into proper cities i think this one probably comes as closest to a proper game of civ that that i've experienced it was really close to my top 50 i think what i kept it back and two of the things that you touched on there Ronan, you can have that person that can sneak around a less experienced player doesn't see it coming and that really quick victory happens it happened with a game with uh, us and Puria Puria took advantage of some poor lady and <laughs> won with yeah, like but what about in the hour. game Didum. thank you no but thank seriously he's he's here all week ladies and gentlemen and my, my other issue even though it's a really interesting part of the game that cuckoo in the nest sort of thing where you can actually influence somebody else's city and start earning points off somebody else's city is really frustrating how's that frustrating this is a switch of one point yeah it's annoying get out of my city it's my city are you influencing it spreading your vitriol you want to be there just running a little bank by yourself coining in your coins and your points everybody else leave me alone get out of my city just be more cultured you philistine anyway <laughs> you're number 26 hey this is fight time boom 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 Okay, my my number twenty six is Blood Rage, and you've even you've got even more to win about it this out. time. <laughs> twenty fifteen release from Eric M Lang and friend of the game pit, cool mini or not? Okay, so before Ronan gets on, he's very high horse. I'm buddies. saying nothing. I've said it already. I'm not going through it again. Horse for evil. Carry on. <laughs> Obviously, it has the cool mini not bling factor. The large minis, absolutely amazing. But what I really like about this game is those low-key trickery cards and that route that stops it being a straight-up conventional 
battle stroke dudes on a map game. There are lots of options to upgrade and deploy really cool units. The draft is enjoyable. This game is light fun with a little bit of trickery, a little bit of bluffing. I absolutely love every time I play this. But what I will say is I find it really hard to find people who really enjoy this to play with me. Natalie hates it. Ronan hates it. I play with other people who are not really that enamored by it. So, yeah, I'm struggling to find a gaming group to play Blood Rage with. Do, do you know why? <laughs> do you know why that is a thing? Because <laughs> it's rubbish. The BGG Cat- ratings and lots of people on the forums suggest that it's not, but I can't find any bling, bling, bling. It looks pretty. Wah, wah, wah. Listen, here's my problem with the game. For me to win the game, I have to conquer areas and control them. That's how I'm going to score points. For you to win the game, you got Loki cards. I have to attempt to conquer areas, and then you beat me from me doing that. So, if I do nothing, I lose. If I do something, I still lose. No, this is What can I do? That just becomes utterly unfun. Then I just sit there going, well... I've got this big army here. If I attack there, I kill all your dudes. They go to Valhalla. You score more points for that than I score for taking this area. Or I attack you. You've got Loki cards, which means you're going to lose the first battle and then you're just going to stitch me up because you have to, don't have to throw your cards away and then your hand's stronger than mine. So uh, there's no point in me attacking you because you score more points than me attacking you. So, But if I don't attack, I'm not going to score. So what do I do? Well, no, no. Not every, you don't necessarily score more points for Valhalla. It depends what the area is. It depends what you're... Your goals yeah. are, whether your goals are to build up in certain areas. Oh, there are sometimes that is not true. But, Sean, there are sometimes when it's true. But it's supposed to be about Vikings. It's too easy to score points by being sneaky and by losing. You know, the whole thing of Valhalla and glory and all that is you're supposed to die gloriously attempting to win in battle, not throwing yourself away in suicide. How many times, though, were people setting themselves up going, I'll leave a couple of troops behind because I'll go to Valhalla and that'll score me points? Because by leaving a few behind, like sacrificing them, that's tempting enough for that person to come in and kill them. And it's just completely unthematic. It's like... I'm, you're not trying to win, you're just trying to lose enough to win in points. Which is why I like the game. I like that it's not a straight-up skirmish battle. Let's just build up as many as we can and roll a few dice to see who wins the fight. If it was a theme of Mafia or Assassins or something like that, maybe it would be less irritating. But I think it's just you're rubbish at the game. You get rinsed every time. Yeah, it could be that as well, yeah. <laughs> But this is not a top 50 game. This was almost a top 25 game. Excellent game. Fabulous game. Give it a go. Yeah. Make Vikings great again. But don't kickstart it. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to move on to happier territories, Sean. Fairer territories. Territories in which the mighty will rule once more, together as a team, communicating non-verbally to remove one of us from a coma. Off your pop. <laughs> My number 25, Ravens of Three Sashiri. I keep pausing to allow you to comment because I know you're going to say something. <laughs> I'm not an ignoramus like you. You just sometimes hide it better. <laughs> This is the 2013 two-player asymmetric game in which one of you is playing a young lady who is in a coma due to traumatic experiences and the other one is her male friend who is attempting to decipher her dreams to help her come out of the cage of her own consciousness. And in doing this, the 
one of the players is playing down a grid of numbered and coloured cards that must be laid out in a certain way. And then the other player who's in the coma is removing one of those cards each time in order to get a certain pattern of cards to give clues to the other player as to what colours they require in their, it's called a poem of their heart, in their, their consciousness they're trapped in. You play it over three rounds. Um, there are ravens that will come along sometimes and chase you away. And you're trying to do it efficiently without talking to each other. So just just the person laying out the cards is has no idea what they're trying to do and just by what cards are being taken and by the person in the coma using special powers on the cards they, they reveal they're able to try and give some sort of clue as to what the end goal is and it's going to be a goal in terms of patterns of colors and that is the ravens of three sashiri it is a brilliant two-player game it's incredibly unusual it's a real challenge it does cause a bit of frustration at the end of each round oh what about that what about this it was obviously this oh my god why you do that oh, a bit of that hey come on let's do it again let's do it again and it's definitely got that one more game one more game factor to it osprey games have brought out a lovely version of it i recommend having a look at that and sean the ravens of three sashiri you complain to me about a theming of a game when you mention this utter lunacy and mentalness. It is mental, but at least it makes sense. It doesn't make sense. It does. Patching together our dreams and ravens chase you away. Have you never been chased by the world eating ravens? Once or twice, but that was in a different setting. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't in a trauma-induced coma at the time, I'm guessing. Spend the time with you induces a bit of fun. Oh, I'm playing Blood Rage, maybe. Anyway. <laughs> I have steadfastly ignored your pleas for me to play this. I don't think I'm ever going to play it at this point, unless you force it down my throat. I think it's one of those ones that just doesn't appeal to me. I keep promising to play it, but yeah, it just doesn't. It just seems too mental and too frustrating and... It doesn't appeal to me at all, but you never know, maybe one day. Well, if you're looking for a two-player, unusual, cooperative game in which you really do have to communicate in an unusual way, but you're doing it together, I'm telling you, give this game a go. It is genius. It's my number 25, Ravens of Three Sashiri. Okay, I'm going back to the year 2000 and what is now seen as a classic for my 25. It's Carcassonne from Klaus Jürgenried. And Z-Man games. We all know Carcassonne, the tile laying game where you're building roads and castles and fields and you're trying to score points for doing it. It's a very, very simple but effective game. And most importantly, it just has enjoyable gameplay in spades. It has hidden depth, you know. People, people look at Carcassonne and think there's much more to it, but you can. I've seen it, I've seen it done by really good Carcassonne players. They, they eke round, bite into each other's roads, bite into each other's castles, and not the most deep game out there, but it this does have a little bit of hidden depth to it. The reason I like this is it's never a chore to play this game. After all this time, it has stood the test of time for me. It's rem- relaxing and familiar, like like a comforting cuddle from a loved one. Not you, right? What, not you, not you. That's mean. It's not comforting. Yeah, it's just, I feel happy playing this. It makes me smile. Well, that's nice. Uh, The depth and the ability to attack is slightly dependent on 
tile draw, mate, and definitely a higher player count. So I'm not a good play as opposed to luck of the draw. Yeah, you have to take a gamble. Yeah, you sure, but 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 some people they can they can sort of read what's out on the table. They know sort of what what tiles are yet to come. What the likelihood is that they can eke round and uh, yeah. Listen, they're world championships at this thing, so yeah, it's a lot of luck involved, especially at our level. You draw four monasteries, you know. You, yeah. uh, <laughs> but having said that, I've had a huge success with it. We we started like doing some light game with another couple, as you know, and the Carcassonne play just took off. I mean, they play want to play dozens of times when we're away on holiday together. And in fact, Carcassonne is such an evergreen and very similar to what you said. Well, I'm not sure about the hugging. <laughs> I <laughs> enjoy every single game of it. Every time I play Carcassonne, I enjoy it, which shows that what a strong design it was. And remember I said I did like, I had 70 games. I got them down to 50. This came in at number 53, Sean. I'm quite surprised. I thought that it, it wouldn't have that sort of, those men, like you always talk about those memorable games. It doesn't have that memorable game. I thought this would be outside your top 100. This is, some games have those highlights where you go, oh, that game and, the, and that game and that game. This has got that constant body of work that's just built up and built up and it's constantly, constantly good. It's the Ryan Giggs player of the year. <laughs> he was never the best player, but he was constantly up there. So at the end of the day, you got to give it to him after like 38 seasons of playing or whatever it was. Moving onwards from Ryan Giggs to my number 24, it's a Simon game, Sean. Oh, dun, dun. Da, I'm my head in shame. You should John Baptiste, Lillian, Nicolas Raoul, and Raphael Guiton. I'm gonna call it a guillotine games game just to make myself feel better. And it is Zombicide, the original Zombicide. I have also beat this drum many, many, many times on the podcast. That original first release, yes, with some of the expansions thrown in, but the tension of being so rubbish and having to run away from the zombies and having to work out tactically how to use the space you've got because it is all about space and the opportunities you have to dive in especially when you get to the much more interesting missions i've said it a million times the compendium way better missions than those which are in the book or just go online most of them are available online and have a look see if it looks more interesting and download it and give it a go yes i got all of black plague from the first one i won't be getting green horde not just because of simon but also because i don't like the fact that you're much more powerful in black plague and you're just chopping down dozens and dozens of zombies every turn to me that gets boring it's the tension of the original whereby every zombie is a threat at least until you get a few weapons and then by that time it's ratcheting up and you never get too powerful for the game you're always on the run that's what i love about zombicide and that's why it's my number 24 yeah, a very strong choice one. You know I like me a bit of zombie side. I think when you start off, you think it's all about just sort of trying to stand up against the the zombies and just move through as quickly as you can. But slowly you start to realise that there's actually a puzzle involved here and you've got to think about the larger picture and sort of attracting the zombies down certain paths so that other members of your party can get away really strong and it's one of those games that creates stories that you talk about like that time when i know fred stood up with a with a frying pan and held off 10 zombies on his own to let the rest escape stories that we still talk about today a very strong choice and it may feature later for me yeah nice nice cool what's your number 24 sean 
Ronan, my number 24 is Alien Frontiers, 2010 release from Toy Nyman and Clever Mojo Games. Anyone who doesn't know, Alien Frontiers is a dice worker placement game where you're building ships and you're mining ore to take over a planet. And you score, you score your points from the area control on the planet. I like this game because, first off, I love the theming and the feel to it. It's like real old sort of 50s and 60s sci-fi theming to this. It just looks and feels great. The dice worker mechanic just keeps you working and adapting. And it really keeps you on your toes all throughout. Lots of choice. If you don't roll high numbers, there's things that suit low numbers and vice versa. Very interactive with a definite to mean side, a really mean side. The expansions to this add more to the game. They give you more worker placement uh, options and they actually add a lot to it. Only slight downside, which is weird because my number 24, <laughs> is that uh, you can be left sitting there twiddling your thumbs for quite a while while people work out what dice they're playing and in what order, etc. But I think the rest of the game is strong enough to overcome that and I'm a big fan of Alien Frontiers. I love it. I was after it when it first came out. I missed the first Kickstarter. We all know it's one of those original Kickstarter hits. I got it as soon as it was available in the shops. And then I played it to death. And I really like it. It's a really solid game. I kind of like the idea of it. But whenever I now I go to sit down at the table, um, my alien ideas, oh, I don't know. Maybe that downtime is just like that smidge too long. I've played it too many times, I think, and it doesn't quite hold up. I also think, because I got a few of the original expansions, the faction packs, stuff like that, it kind of got heat death a bit for me, which is where it's too many expansions, too many things get thrown on top, and there's too much going on for what is in the the core game. I think it works with the factions when everyone knows what all the factions are, because you can go and use each other facilities and stuff. But when you're trying to teach it, uh, and that one is that one, that was like, what does that one do? What does that one do? What does that one do? do to add to that downtime just pushes over the edge for me so just core game really strong game but for me not a personal favorite just because it didn't quite hold up to many many repeated plays fair enough but i I actually had a recent game of it and it's probably what propelled it back in like so high in my top 50 it was always going to be a top 50 game but had a really enjoyable game with the expansions thrown in and yeah so probably that's what pushed it up a little bit higher, but I always enjoy a bit of Alien Frontiers. So number 23, Ronan. Number 23 for me, Sean. It's hard to believe it's three years old. From Ian Brody, it is Quartermaster General, the World War II game that doesn't really play like many other World War II games. The combat's completely deterministic. Everything is card-driven. Each of the individual six powers comes with their own deck of cards, which has completely unique cards in there, apart from the basic attack ones. When you play an attack card, you take a piece off the board. That is it. There is no waiting around or rolling dice or consulting charts. Combat is that simple. It's kind of hard to call it a war game. It's much more... strategy game which is so vague it almost doesn't cover it you play in two teams it's best with six players because each person each gets their own power then and you play an axis versus allies uh, you play over 20 rounds it's incredibly quick playing as a six player game i find it hard to think of anything else that works as well and plays as quickly and provides decisions and requires genuine teamwork it does go in phases. It has seemed hard for the Axis to win recently, although we did turn one over, probably one in eight in my most recent game off it. And it's 
such a good design to me and so much fun and i'm still learning more things the order your cards comes out in dictates to a point what your strategy is each game a just fantastically strong game and my number 23 is quartermaster general my very first game of this ronan i enjoyed so much i went out and bought it the next day played it a few more times and didn't fall out of love but the love certainly went on the wane to the point where i ended up trading it away because it was a case that the Allies were constantly winning and didn't feel like you had a lot of choice. Certainly the groups that I was playing in were kind of to do the same things, tended to follow the actual structure of the World War. It got to the point where I think sometimes it was just so obvious who was going to win, it wasn't worth continuing round to the point where they were the actual victor, just like, okay, we'll call it because they ain't coming back from that. and like. The people playing Italy didn't seem to have, although they were very important and they had to support Germany, didn't seem a lot of stuff that they could do. So I still like it. I still will play it, but I fell out of love a little bit with it. I know what you're saying, and, and I played in some of those games as well where there was a bit of a pattern forming. And yet, in recent games, Italy, probably played Italy, and he was the most important power on the board. Because uh, the game happened to develop that way, I think... Uh, Germany was occupying Britain and what have you, and then the battle was going on over in Asia, and Italy suddenly became vital. They were almost controlling all of Europe. We played a game where Russia, Germany were tied up enough, and Italy were tied up enough by Britain and America, sort of, America came immediately came over to Europe, that Russia then attacked all the way across Asia, and they're in China, and they are actually back in Japan. And although there can be patterns, I don't, know, I don't like to say when they know it well enough, but as a team, what each one of your teammates does affects what you can do and even people kind of go oh i think i should do that but thinking outside the box and thinking but why am i going to do that can mess up because it messes up what the other team are doing and then they can't plan so well for you so i think you kind of go through that if you're learning the game i think then you go into that phase of oh this is how the game should go and then suddenly people break out and go well no there's other stuff we can do I can establish a strong british faction in india and australia and really fight the war down there and just kind of cling on to Britain or Germany, kind of a bit tied down, but you can go over through Scandinavia and stuff like that. So I think it kind of has that dip short in perceived options and it kind of takes off again a bit for me. Well, it did, yeah, but there you go. But you'd have to love it enough to play it enough to enjoy it. So obviously I'm kind of looking for ways for it to work because I'm enjoying every game of it anyway. No, I see that. And I know it's, it's a huge, huge hit when we go down to LobsterCon it's it's always out on at least a couple of the tables so as i said it's just a game i probably didn't have the same love and desire to make work that you did i I admit to some bias here i just i just fell in love with the game yeah fair enough fair enough okay a game that i fell in love with and i'm not actually sure what your long-term thoughts are on this is mansions of madness the second edition which came out last year in 2016 from uh, Nicky Valens and Fantasy Flight Games. So Mansions of Madness itself, the first edition was the game, was a game where you're going into a huge mansion that's been infested by Lovecraftian naughtiness. And all sorts of Lovecraftian beasts are in there, and you've got to solve clues, and you've got to clean out the mansion and solve the problem so that, I don't know, Cthulhu doesn't rise or something or other. Now, 
The first one was a little bit broken, and obviously you had to drive it yourself. The second one, and what changes it up, is you have an app, and that app drives the game itself. And you are taken along for the ride. You're not pushing the game along yourself. Why do I like the second edition? Well, I think it's massively atmospheric. I think the app does a really good job of setting the scene, setting the atmosphere up, and running the game for you. It takes away a lot of those those setup issues and looking around for pieces. It tells you exactly what goes where, in, and it does that in steps. Sub-games in there, you have little puzzles and things to solve. They are really welcome. I really enjoy them. There's lots of excellent touches like Injuries and Madness that probably came over from Eldritch Horror. I think the game has excellent immersion and storytelling, and as anyone listens to the show no i love a game to tell a story and this well it sets out to do that and it does it in my opinion very well ronan no i think i think you were kind of on the fence a bit last time when we reviewed this game how how has it progressed for you i wasn't really on the fence i think i was quite clear (laughs) well it's a fun experience but it's a terrible game (laughs) because you don't do anything you just wander around, press a button, the game tells you some things, you go, okay, cool. You don't really make any decisions, you've got very little to do. In the course of 10 minutes, you're active for 30 seconds of it. It's one of those games, Sean, whereby I'm like, well, it's... But but in terms of like, you know, at the end of the hour, half of the two hours, have I had fun? Yeah, I've had a shared experience. This story has happened and we've all been here and that was nice. But it's the game I choose to play when I didn't feel like playing a game because I haven't exercised my mind at all. I haven't really made any decisions. You know, the story games that I like, at least I feel like I can go and do stuff. I could go here or I could go there and the story will change depending upon what I do. Manchester Madness, the story's not going to really change depending on what I do. The story's going to happen and I have a bit part to play in it and really the story is the star. Uh, if I'm there or not, it really makes no difference. You're, you're just getting carried along on the tidal wave. So, you know... It's just not my type of game at all. There's just far too few decisions in it. I was watching Tabletop, the Fury of Dracula one, the, um, the other day, and they're all sitting around and they're chatting and they're making jokes and they're having a laugh, but they're actually not doing anything in the game. <laughs> they're watching it going, yeah, yeah, they've got this, this framework in which to interact and, and chat to each other, but you could be sitting around having a coffee or in the pub or or watching like a, a, a comedy on TV and, and you could do the same thing. It's it's that level of entertainment to me. And I don't want to get into arguing about what's a game, what's not a game. But to me, I don't feel like I've played a game after a game of Manchester's Madness because I haven't had much influence on it. I think you've been a bit harsh. I do get what you're saying and I do agree with it to some degree. But I think there is a game. I do think you make decisions, especially in the, some of the later missions, You've got to really think about splitting up and where to go and what to go first. And then you've got the puzzle aspect where you are thinking as a group, trying to solve that puzzle. But yeah, I get what you're saying. It's not the most gamey of games and you are swept along on the story. But if at the end of those two hours you have enjoyed yourself and you have had fun, then you know what? That's that's good enough for me. And if I've enjoyed myself and I've had a thoroughly good time after two hours, then I'll take that any day and sitting around breaking up dreams and being chased by ravens. You're wrong, don't even go there. <laughs> don't even go there. 
So I actually, I think I've rated it quite high on Board Game Geek because for what it sets out to do, it does it all very well. It's just, yeah, I have to be in the right mood for doing it. Fair enough. So Fair enough. For, for my top 50 games, it's not going to get anywhere near it. But if you're going to say top 50 relaxing ways to spend an evening with three other people having a laugh, maybe it'll be there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you're wrong. And what's your number twenty-two? Uh, my number twenty is my third Vlad Travel game in this. Year. I don't even know. I wouldn't even call myself a huge fan of his, but apparently I am. Apparently it's you are. It's from two thousand seven. Yeah, you know, yeah, nice guy. Yeah, cool. It's Galaxy Trucker. I can't remember what you think about this. I can't remember if you hate it or love it. Anyway, I absolutely adore it. It's the game which you're real time picking up tiles to put down or to form a spaceship. Your spaceship size and configuration depends upon. On, well, what, what version of the game you play and what level you're on? It goes up through levels one, two, three, up to four now. And you're trying to get crew on board, get some aliens, get some engines, get some guns, get some storage capacity, and then you're going to fly off and you don't know exactly what's coming up. You have got a chance to look at the cards during each round to have an idea what's going on. You might be attacked by pirates, you might find an abandoned space station, there might be planets you can go and trade with, there might be asteroids that are going to whack into your uh, spaceship as it goes along and you're basically trying to prepare yourself for a bit of a wacky races now the thing with the game is it's always best when you're a little bit rubbish at it so when you first start playing galaxy trucker you probably certainly on the second third level won't build a great ship and it will do rubbish and it will fall apart and you'll have a laugh once you get good at it you have to start adding expansions, which add in complications and difficulties and aliens that can come straight on board your ship and wander around. So you have to build internal defenses and then they can get really awkward ship layouts that you have to try and build and stuff like that. And it, pitching it to always keep it where it's the game is a bit better than you are is where it hits its absolute sweet spot. But having said that, I've talked to my kids in the last year i've talked to new people i've used it at conventions where people are interested in games i uh, say so would you like this idea and it works really well in that and and you kind of can self-handicap and i do and help other people build and i kind of make a bit of a, a dodgy ship rather than gaining people but but in terms of it's unique it's fun it's funny as long as you can stand your ship getting blown to pieces and have a laugh about it then galaxy trucker is a fantastic game Sure, oh, I don't know. I don't know what you think. Right, I've mellowed over the years. Have it. you? I used to despise it, like with a burning passion of a thousand fiery suns. I used to hate it. But now I just dislike it a bit. I'll play it, but I just dislike it. Do you think how upset I got because you were influencing one of my buildings in my city <laughs> in Clash of Cultures? Imagine how upset I get when my spaceship gets blown to smithereens after me building. I'm very precious about when I build things in in board games. I like I like the fact oh, I built that as mine. <laughs> and then this one is gets it smashed up. And even just the building the spaceship, I find that really frustrating. And I oh, know I really want a piece like this. I can't find it. Ah. Tension upsets me, and then it gets blown to smithereens anyway. Yeah, I didn't like that. Don't like it. Get away. Oh, bless you. Oh, dear. Also, sure, there's a... I think we've been playing it a little bit. We got a rule wrong. It's going to be a little bit easier than it should be. There's a fantastic geek list that's been going on for the last couple of months called Games You Might Be Playing Wrong. And it's a list of games, and there's little rules that people have missed. And they're talking about they've missed them. They've played it 10 times, and they've never realised that rule. And there's one in Galaxy Trucker whereby when you lose your goods, you have to lose your highest value goods first. And you've got no goods left. You have to lose your batteries 
I don't think I've been playing it like that because I read through this geek list going, ah, ah, oh no, I knew that. I feel very superior. I knew that rule. And this woke up in Galaxy Trucker, and I've got a feeling we haven't been doing that, and that it just got a little bit harder. <laughs> You're not improving my mood. Ah, <laughs> uh, he's hilarious though, especially pointing it. I think I've started. <laughs> I've started to see that a little bit more now. I think maybe I went in with my eyes closed, even though you said like, oh, you you've got to make it back and your spaceship is going to get smashed up. I felt like maybe I was going to lose one or two things, but I literally didn't make it back because my spaceship got smashed up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was point, upsetting. You've got one tile holding on like two halves. <laughs> together, like, yeah. Please don't roll an eight. Please don't roll. Oh, you rolled an eight. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure how the girls were going to take it when we taught it, but I think I've, I'm quite proud of them that they just took it on the chin. They were like, oh, yeah. They were laughing at themselves and just like mocking each other gently and actually giving each other a hug if it got a bit too serious. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it went down really well and we really like it. And I can start, I think, moving on to the expansions. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you didn't give me a hug. I always give you hugs. Anyway, your number 22, <laughs> hug boy. My number 22. Okay, so. I'm going back again in time, 2004, Alan R. Moon, and it's Ticket to Ride from Days of Wonder. Now, I'll say from the outset that Ticket to Ride isn't the most exciting game anymore for me. But what it is, is my gateway game of choice. This is the game, as soon as somebody new comes up and says, oh, what are all those? I'd like to play those one day. Ticket to Ride, right, first one out. I've got more people interested in games for Ticket to Ride than any other game. And that is why it holds a place in my heart. If you're gonna if we're gonna start looking down, it's pleasing to the eye. It's really nice when you've built those long little train lines from one side to the other and yeah, that's nice. And it can if you want it to be be a little bit cutthroat again and run and say what, playing it correctly, yes, playing it correctly. You can block people's out and you can be a little bit mean. There's very little downtime in this. Really fast-paced and just boom, boom, boom. Everyone does their actions. They know exactly what they want to do well in advance. But yeah, but the main reason is it's just the gateway game that I learned through. And it's the gateway game that I will choose to get other people involved. So that is why it's so high on my list. Yeah, I... Uh... Some of these sort of classic gateway games I sort of have a funny relationship with because... The way I was brought into the game, our gateway games were like bootleggers and warrior knights and in the year of the dragon and Runebound and stuff like that. We, we just went in straight in and because, you know, Steve was the guy who taught us. He'd been playing games for a long time. He knew a lot of games and those are the games he wanted to, to play. And, and we were obviously able and willing and wanted to play those heavier games. It's kind of an interesting discussion about judging like what games use as gateway games because some people will play tickets right and go it's too light i'm not interested <laughs> and it's really hard to kind of pitch it right you know, i've had people walk into on a board and play zulkin as their first game and love it and then play zulkin as their first game and never come back <laughs> you know it's it's hard but back to my relationship with lights of ticket to ride uh settlers of Catan, things like that. i didn't play them as my gateway games and i didn't develop that sort of love for them and the real affection so i've played Settlers of Catan recently with the family and they all enjoyed it and i think we'll probably play it some more but it i'd only played it once before ever ticket to ride yeah i have played that a few more times but i didn't 
generate that warmth for it that familiarity from from playing it sort of repeatedly and having that as as my bridge in that others have so but i do like the game and i'm happy to play it you know i can see it's a very good game and i think i rate it quite highly but it's not one of my favorites and it's not something i always get out it's not something i even think to play with newbies and i, I again we talked about before part of that might be just because it's a train theme and i'm like I'd rather probably play something that hasn't got a train theme because I'm looking at trains all day long. I can't dismiss it as your choice because it's clearly a really successful game. I know you love it. I enjoy playing it. I just don't have that affection. It was actually you used it as a gateway game for me to get me back into the hobby. Did I? You did. You Ticket to Ride Europe. Yeah, okay. We obviously knew about you going down playing with Steve and I was getting more and more interested in the games that you were playing with Steve. And so I came around you and you're like, okay, listen, let's see if you, if you want to get back in, you pulled out tickets to ride Europe and I was hooked. And that is one of the reasons that is so near and dear to my heart. I'm like a pusher who doesn't use his own goods. (laughs) Stay away in case they're rotten. Never take it, man. Never take it. (laughs) Cool. Right. So my last game for this episode is my number 21. And Sean, I told you it was a lighter episode. (laughs) We're going to the lightest of the light. But I'm going to ask you a question. What is the loudest moment you can ever remember being in my house? Me, the kids, a lot of noise. I'm going (laughs) to... I'm going to say Lupin Louie, Ronan, because your <laughs> girls get very excited about that one. <laughs> Lupin Louie. How mental does it get in my house when Lupin Louie comes out? A little bit over mental. I, I can't cope. Sean <laughs> literally gets stressed because we get so excited playing it. And there's so much shouting going on and pointing our fingers and all the rest of it. <laughs> you yeah. can see him sort of... <laughs> Getting a little bit of dismay on his face. This is too much. I'm too little to cope with this. You step in to the arena of Lupin Louie. You are stepping in, son, and you best be strapped and ready. <laughs> this is can't be my number 21. I know it's just a stupid kids game. I know people say like everyone goes on about it too much. It's not that great and blah, 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 whatever. We have an amazing time with it. It is so funny. We are literally jumping up and down. When people, at the last stand, they will go running around the house cheering just for winning one round of Lupin Louie. We set up little mini tournaments. We keep score. The girls remember what the scores were. If they ever blank me out and I lose all my chickens first for anyone else, the amount of abuse I get is hilarious. Honestly, if you ever come around my house and Lupin Louie gets suggested, you need to be ready. This is war. And we absolutely love it. I've had so many good times of it with the kids and my nieces and nephews and all the rest of it that it had to be in here. And it's my number 21. It's Lupin Louie. It's a great game. I think it's probably not in my top 50 yet because the boy just doesn't get on with it. He He's not. He's, he's like myself. He's, he's a bit ham-fisted and that. The, the thing just gets smashed and everything falls down. So, yeah. <laughs> He's not quite got the love for Looping Louie that I have. And I think as soon as I'm able to share it with him, then it's game on. Oh, yeah. Your boys best train up because you're entering the murder dome. <laughs> <laughs> Two Louis enter, one Louis leave. <laughs> sure, sure. I think there is only one Louis. Twelve chickens enter between one to three chickens leave. I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, Sean, you're number 21 to see us. Right, okay, yes. Sticking on that really light theme, I'm going 1916, making of the president. 
nice and light. Nice and light. Nice and light. Yeah. 2007, Christian Leonard and Jason Matthews and Z-Man. I've got quite a few Z-Man games this time. Back when they used to be good. Yeah. Oh, tough crowd. What? Tough Who's crowd. Who mentioned Out of Touch? Who mentioned Out of Touch? <laughs> I didn't mention that. Okay, so... Can we get so, print of any games ever, Z-Man? Can we get any rule books before they come out? Can we get any information from you? Anyway. <laughs> so all of a sudden, Cool Mini or not, I feel a little bit better. <laughs> 1960 making of the president as the title suggests is about the presidential elections in 1960 between nixon and kennedy and that's how the game moves you one of you's nixon one of you's kennedy and you're trying to influence the voting public and try to win yourself into the president's office so why do I love the game? Well, I think it gives you real insight into the American election process. I kind of knew what it was about. I hadn't really watched the West Wing and things like that before I played this game. But once I played this game, I actually became really interested in the way that American politics work. Well, how it used to work. Well, how, it, how American politics used to work. <laughs> and... Yeah, so that that was a really interesting journey in itself. But the game, obviously, is very good, too. You have that sort of historical feel. You're learning while you're playing. You have a tense battle going on with plenty of ways to win and to reel in your opponents. It's a deep, absorbing, and thematic experience, and that's 1960. I think you're a fan of this one, Ronan. I love it. Absolutely love it. It is probably the most headache inducing game that I've played because it is that one-on-one everything you do is is black and white it's it's zero sum it's if I do this here it's screwing you up there <laughs> it's quite stressful you have to be you know anticipate that I would actually I had to look to see if it was in my top 50 or not because I rated that highly and it's not and the only thing I can say Sean is I don't think I've played it in probably five years I, I i don't know for sure but for a long long time so it probably wasn't quite you know at the forefront of my mind and i guess not having played it for that long i would need to see how i reacted to it in order to, to put it in a top 50 and I, I think it would still hold up i know it's getting a reprint uh so so people people got faith in the game system i'm pretty sure i'd still love it it's that long two-player game, you know, I have so many of them that it's kind of vying with Twilight Struggle and War of the Ring and Star Wars Rebellion and Fields of Arl and all the others. How often have you got three or four hours where do you sit down and go, right, cool, let's play this game. You know, you've got kids, you've got life, you've got work. It doesn't happen that often. Usually when you block out that much time, you invite other people around. That's what I found anyway. And that's when you get the longer games in, it's multiplayer. So, current life dictates i haven't played it for a long time but i still have a lot of respect and affection for it and if we should do this again in a few years time if i played it in the interim it may well pop back up yeah it's one of those it does it takes a big investment in not, not just time but emotional <laughs> stress it really does you're not going too far there and it's one of my, in my household, it kind of comes around when there's, a, there's an election, not just in America, but in, in this country, and we start the getting snap interest. election that no one expected. Snap! <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, when, they, when we're starting getting interest in politics around, we, we look up at the shelf and find 1960 winking at us, and we're like, yeah, 
Let's do it. Let's do it. It's a bit of a learning curve getting back into it, but it's always rewarding. The card, you've got so many cards, and they've all got dual aspects to them. And yeah, it's, it's definitely, well, it's my number 21. You can't say so. dual aspect to two train men. I was getting a bit excited there. I was going to cram a kick. <laughs> thought you had a single failure. <laughs> oh, whoa, oh, oh, dual aspect. Hold on. <laughs> Hang on, hang on. Drivers had a change of aspect. <laughs> oh, let's talk more geek, shall we? Anyway, <laughs> cool. Good choice. Like some of your choices were. Thank <laughs> you, And we will see you out soon. Okay, there we have down to 21 in our top 50 countdown, Ronan. It's just it's so exciting, Sean. Really, I, I can barely contain myself. Yeah, I could tell when I was talking about Blood Rage. Ah, get out of here. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure you've just all heard the edited version of my comments on Blood Rage. We're trying to keep it family friendly. Family friendly? There's, there's prisoners that would have, would have bolted at your description. Oh, ah, he's saying Quentin. He's locking themselves back in their cells. <laughs> in their dress cells. Why is right? He's so angry about that game. Oh, God. <laughs> what have we got coming up, Sean? We are off to LobsterCon. We're going to play some games. Yay. And, and we are going to yeah. be doing one of our treasure hunts that seems to upset publishers <laughs> and designers. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> we are going to do our review of 2016. Yeah, finally. Uh, we won't kind of leave it till after LobsterCon because so I know everyone's talking about so many games coming out. In order to give a decent retrospective, we want to play at least as many as we could. And this spring LobsterCon is always a good one for catching up on games that you haven't got or played since 2016 that people are still playing. So the ones that are sticking around, I know it's only a few months, but a little bit, the ones that are likely to sort of be the, the stickers from the year before. So we thought we'd get that opportunity and get a few more played and then give you what we thought would be a better retrospective than trying to get one out in January. Yeah. And, of course, we've got the UK Games Expo, which is getting bigger and bigger every year, Ron. I'm really excited about that. We are going to be on the Dice Tower booth at some points during the weekend. Myself, Sean, Natalie, who, again, you all loved. We're feeling slightly unloved, the two of us here. Every time she's on the show, she gets fan mail. Where's the love? Where about us? And also my daughter, Eleanor, is going to be with us as an official Game Pit attendee for the first time. She's our production assistant. Yeah, very good. And she's she's hitting the ground running. She's got so many plans that we probably should have, but never did. <laughs> it's almost like she's organised, motivated, and useful in some way. Complete opposite With the of talent. us. With the ta- we should have a big trailer. They should be looking after us. Our demands. I don't think the local pie and mash shop could cope. Ah, <laughs> oh, there is a good pie and mash shop in Birmingham, actually. Now that you said it. But not as good as the pie shops in Sydney. Have I mentioned them yet? Haven't. Unreal. Seriously, if you go to Sydney, forget about the beach. Or go to Australia, forget about the beach, forget about the beautiful scenery, all the rest of it. Go and eat the pies. The pies are amazing. It's like a thing. They have big pie shop competitions over there. On your pie thing, I heard about a South African pie where they bake a a burger in a pie. Oh, yeah. This is... They have a bolognese pie. They've got Thai chicken curry pie. They've got um, like tuna and avocado and egg in a pie. 
I can't even tell a butter chicken pie upper crust on the northern beaches the butter chicken pie seriously pay for the flight just to go there just to eat that pie I'd die amazing I'd die and if you if you're just tuning in which would be a weird place to tune in at the end <laughs> you uh you you're welcome to the pie pit <laughs> chili con carne with the chilies in there with the sour cream on top of the chili in the pie I thought I was out there with a burger pie I thought what Mate, burger pie it's like Best of two worlds. They've organised national pie shop competitions. It's it's amazing. And also, the pie shop we go to has got load of gold awards. It's got some silver ones. Mo, what? Who, who beat you? Where's that pie shop? <laughs> what? what? Second rate pies for? Why did you not find it? I don't know. I was just panicking and eating too many pies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. I did some other things in Australia, but the pies were probably the highlight. Anyway, well, uh, we had some more plans, Sean. Should we even talk about them or should we just let these people go? I think we need to let people go. We'll talk about them next time when we're not salivating yeah, sure. over pies. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you, Ronan. And you can see us out beautifully. I'll try. I'll try my very best. I don't think I could do it after all those pie talk. <laughs> we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Please go there to see other po- gaming podcasts and the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to email us, we're on the Game Pit Podcast at gmail.com. If you wish to just chew the breeze, we have a Board Game Geek Guild. And come there, ask us questions, have a chat with us. We'd love to hear from you. We have a Facebook page. We are on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. And we are also on Instagram. If you wish to download the episodes, we are on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Thank you very much for listening. Music by E. Aaron. Just scared.